so today, we're, we're not starting a new series. We won't start that a new series until um, Advent, which is a couple weeks from now. But today, um, there's a phrase that have, has been rattling around in my brain for a while, and it's a phrase I've actually used here in church before, and it's, it's a phrase that has such huge impact on your life, and it's a truth that you actually know that you actually realize just from experience, um, especially those of you who can remember back to high school and college, and you think, man, I can't believe I did that. Or, you know, I hope my spouse doesn't find out about that night with the guys or the gals. And the phrase is this, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. To, to, to some extent, to a large extent, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. And one thing that I know about you is that the relationships in which you are involved tell a lot about you. So now I bet right now you're thinking, Ooh, what relationships do I have? Are they good? Are they healthy? Are they wrong? Wow, should I make some changes? You know, what, what are those relationships? In fact, it's interesting, there's a prevailing thought in psychology that you are the sum average of the five people around you. Now, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Welcome to church. Now, think about the, the, the five people, um, and, and kind of including your family, but maybe not outside of your family even. You're the sum total of the five people around you. Your income, your behavior, your social connections, your overall view of life is influenced by the five people closest to you. Now, I'm not sure I buy into all of the psychology behind that, but it's true that the people in your life affect your attitudes and your behaviors. Now listen, students, this truth is why your parents are so concerned with the friends you're hanging out with, right? Parents, raise your hand if you're con- or you have been concerned or you think about what is the friend group that you're... Can- <laughs> yeah, everyone's like holding their hands down. No, don't, don't embarrass me. But it's true. We as parents are concerned with your friend group because whoever your circle of of five people are, if this holds true, influences your behavior. Husbands, this is why your wife is cautious about that new young secretary in the office. Wives, this is why your husband makes comments about the character flaw he sees in your best friend. Because the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationship. And listen, you and I, Human beings, humanity, we were designed, we were hardwired, we were cut from the cloth to be in relationships. No other creature on the planet has this kind of wiring inside of us. And it's a good thing because, because in your relationships, you learn so much more about yourself, about other people, and about God. In fact, God gives you another truth, and this, that's this, life together is better than life apart. We've said this here before. Life together is better than life apart. And this doesn't necessarily mean marriage. It doesn't mean boyfriend or girlfriend. But it simply means a meaningful and a relational connection with other people. And when you are in a relational proximity of other people, it benefits you. Reminds me of the story of two gas company servicemen. Um, It's a true story. Uh, Two gas company servicemen, a senior training supervisor and a younger training, uh, trainee, where they were checking out the meters and they parked their, their truck uh, in an alley and they're working down the way, all the way down the end of the alley and they get to the very last house and they're checking the meters. You know, that was back when they actually did that and they didn't have, you know, online stuff. But they were checking and they get to the very last house and they notice there's a, a lady looking out the window and watching them. 
And so they check the meters, and then the older guy says, you know, I think you, you, you probably think you're pretty fast. And the young guy says, well, I am. And the old guy, older guy says, I bet I could race you and beat you to the car, back to the truck where we, we came from. And he goes, you're on. And so on the count of three, they go boogieing it down the alley just really, really fast. And they get to the truck, and then they hear behind them the lady huffing and puffing and just... <sighs> and when they, they stopped and they asked her what was wrong and gasping for breath, she says, when I see two gas men running full speed away from my house, I figure I better run too. <laughs> Life together, it's better. I know, see, it's two weeks in a row of bad preaching jokes, but... Life together is better than life apart. And that's what, I, that's, that's what we teach here at Trinity. That's why we, and that's what we live it out here at our church. And hopefully it's what you've experienced. So, but what I want to do is I want to dissect three questions about relationships, your relationships, um, that, that come up. And even as I talk with people about their relationships with other people and what God says about them. And the three questions are these three questions. First of all, why are they so difficult, Right? Why are relationships sometimes so difficult? Secondly, what should, be in the, what should be the common ground for relationships? And what are we supposed to do when we get there? So, first one, why are they so difficult? Did you know something about yourself? Because of sin, that we, you know, we're part of a fallen world right now, because of sin, the gravitational pull for every human being is inward. It's isolation, to do my own thing. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray, every one of us, everybody to his own way. I mean, think about it. When you're in a situation and, and you're, you, everything that happens to you, the very first programming in your head is, how is this affecting me? How is this affecting my dreams? How is this affecting my agenda, my hopes, my ideas? And that's why parenting is so hard. You know, you're going along life, and then all of a sudden you meet somebody, and you fall in love, you get married, and you enjoy this life together, just the two of you. Parents, remember those days? Ah, moment of silence. I have it now. I'm an empty nester. It comes back, believe it or not. Um, but, you know, you, 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 you have that wonderful time, and then, and then you know, if, if it's God's plan, a baby comes along, and everything changes. The attention that he or she gave me is now directed at this little pooping thing in your lap. And that's okay for a while, but then the kid starts talking. And the child learns the very first word, which is no. Yeah, no. Second word is mine. Those are the two first words other than mommy and daddy, maybe if you're lucky. (laughs) And as a parent, not only are you in many respects putting your wants and agendas aside, but now... You have to train and guide and mentor your little bumpkin on how not to be selfish, but to share and to be kind and not to do what is in your own natural reaction to be selfish, right? You have to teach them not to be that way. Yesterday, I was at Black Sheep Coffee, um, and I was kind of putting some thoughts together. And at Black Sheep Coffee in South St. Paul, if you've been there, um, there's a center place right by the fireplace, and there's four, four big comfy chairs and um, they added a new thing, and it's a toy box over on the side. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of writing, and, and a bunch of couples come in, and they have little kids just, like, all over the place. They grab every toy out of that thing. And, you know, it's a coffee, it's a restaurant, it's a coffee shop place. And there are Superman dolls and th- all kinds of Legos and everything strewn all over the place. 
And, uh, you know, a mom had ordered a quiche, and she was sitting in the chair with the quiche, and literally 45 minutes go by before she even started digging into that thing. Why? Mommy, how about this? And she's taking kids off her legs, and, you know, she's putting this down, and she's making sure the kids, you know, aren't, aren't doing anything. Her, she's taking her wants and needs and having to put it to the side for the kids. Where was Dad? Oblivious. They were all talking in the corner, you know, and, and God bless them, but fathers, you know, be in tuned. Your wife also needs help. That's kind of a big, broad, general statement, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, but that's one of the reasons why God gave us relationships, because being in relationship with other people automatically focuses us outside of ourselves and not inside of ourselves. You and I were meant to be in relationship. It's why when Jesus uh, died for the sins of the world, Jesus didn't die just to kind of wash you clean. He died to be in rela- so that you could be in relationship with God. And then as a byproduct, actually, relationship with, each other, with other people. It was to bring you into that beautiful relationship and not just a Sunday morning relationship. You know, I, I, I love our church because, you know, our services are full and it's just, it's fun to be around each other. But if you're just checking off the Sunday morning box, man, you're missing a lot. You're missing so much about what our church is about, about what being in relationship in Christian relationships are all about. Because God wants to meet you every day, every moment of every day, in every phone call, in every meeting in your day, at home, driving, or walking through the office. God is there, and He, he, he wants you to, to understand and, and walk in the knowledge that He is there. Um, a week and a half ago on Wednesday, uh, if you remember this in the announcement, we brought in, um, uh, he's now a pastor, Brian Cole, and if you remember, if you've been, if you heard his story, he used to be a Satanist, and um, drug addiction in prison for 27 of his 50 years on earth. And um, one of the first things that he, first tattoo that he got um, was a cross on the bottom of his foot. He hated God. He hated Christians. He hated anything that has to do with, with Christianity. He got a tattoo on the bottom of his foot because as he shared, he wanted to make sure that everywhere he went, he was stomping out Christ. That was his message. God got a hold of him, flipped his heart upside down, flipped his life upside down, and one of the first things that he wanted to do was take that cross off the bottom of his foot because he thought it was an offense. And it was like God, uh, God spoke to him and said, no, Brian, I want you to keep that cross on the bottom of your foot now as a reminder that everywhere you go, you are walking with me. Isn't that beautiful? When he said that a week and a half ago, those of you who are there, I mean, he went on to something else, and I just, I just kind of went, whoa, what a reminder. Um, you know, something that was so horrible to him, now God flipped around, redeemed it for his purpose. Um, so, second question, what should be the common ground for our relationship? Well, we're going to be taking a look. This is where we get in the Bible stuff. We're going to be taking a look at the book of Hebrews. If you have Bibles, turn that, or if you have your smartphone, you can go to, to Hebrews. We're going to start in Hebrews 10. We're actually going to look at two chapters or two chunks of, of Scripture um, that talk about this thing about relationships and what we as people in relationship with God and with each other, how we are to move forward. So 
Uh, the setup for Hebrews 10 is the writer, and, and some people, we're not sure who actually wrote this book of the Bible. Some people think it's Paul. Other people think it may be Barnabas. Um, we're not really sure, so I'm just going to say the writer. Um, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 is talking about this, this um, Jewish worship back then. Um, it was actually phasing out a little bit when Hebrews was written. Uh, was There was a temple. There were three parts of the temple. There was the outer courts, there was these inner courts, and then there was this holy of holies. And a person, uh, the high priest was the only one who could enter into the holy of holies and only once a year. And what he would do is he would have certain duties. He'd kind of have a checklist of things that he had to do to uh, walk, to, to, um, uh, to worship God in there, just him. They would tie a rope around him in case he went in there and died because nobody could cross through this three-foot-thick curtain other than the high priest. And so if he died, they had a rope, and they would just yank him out of there, and it's pretty crude, but that's what they would do. So the writer of Hebrews is talking about this, and then he makes this switch to say it's not a human high priest that has done this to to allow people into the, the presence of God. It's Jesus himself that came to be our high priest, okay? And that's kind of where we pick up the conversation. And it says this, Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, that curtain has been pulled away because of what Jesus did. We have full access to God. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, he says, let us, let us, brothers and sisters, draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So basically, the foundation is this this idea that we are saved by what Jesus did. In Christ, we are brothers and sisters. We have a relationship that is grounded on the truth of the gospel. And that's the foundation for our relationship. That's what faith is. Chapter 11, if you know the book of Hebrews, is what they call the hall of fame. Because then the the writer says, now let me tell you about a whole bunch of people that you may remember from history. And he goes through, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Noah did this. And this whole list of all these different people about what these people did as um, examples for us in the Christian life. Then he gets to chapter 12. And after listing all these people, and he says, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, we have this great examples in the faith. And and the encouragement is, is that when you have somebody watching you, don't you want to do better? Don't you feel like if, if you have people watching you, especially those who are in the mix, so, you know, like, let's say you're a young quarterback and you up your game when Aaron Rodgers is in the crowd. See, I'm being weaned over the dark side of your Packer force. <clears throat> um, if you're practicing for whatever team the, the coach is watching, you try and do your best. Same idea. As Christ followers, you know, we're surrounded by examples of people who love God, love others, and serve the world. And so we continue in that same way. But how do we do that? And then the writer keeps going, and he says, well, this is how you do that. Therefore... Throw, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The sin, did you know sin entangles you? It holds you back. Um, I, I hesitated to share this story, um, but I'm going to share it because you know me and my weird, sick, twisted brain. So uh, last 
August, uh, last September, this last September, um, I did the St. Croix Triathlon uh, here. And um, I get to it, basically, it's a, it's a sprint triathlon. So it was third of a mile swim, um, a 10-mile bike ride, and a four-mile run. And so in the tra- doing all these transitions, and I get done with the bike ride, and I had my biking shorts on, and um, under my biking shorts was my uh, running slash swimsuit. So it was wet, you know, it was kind of wet. And, um, you know, the biking shorts with those cute little padded things on your butt, kind of, you know. So by this time, I'm even biking, my, everything's just wet. So I do the transition, and I start running. The beginning of four miles, I was exhausted already. So I'm running, and I realize, squeeze, 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 squeeze. I'd forgotten to take off my biking shorts. And I'm thinking, four miles, chafing, just go there. You know, it's just, oh. <clears throat> so so I'm, I'm running down, and it goes around that little path down by the water. And, and, I, and I go running, and I look ahead, and I see this, the end of a park bench sitting there. So I go running, and, I'm, and my thought is, I'm just going to go there. I'm just going to, you know, take off my, my, um, my biking shorts, leave them behind, and then I'll come back and get them later behind that bench. As I'm turning the corner, I see a lady, two little kids, and Sherry Bulow standing there. <laughs> and she's talking, and she, you were on your walk or something, you know, so I go running, and she goes, hey, Todd, I didn't say anything, and I stop in front of her, and I go, boom. <laughs> she had no idea, the mom, the kid, you know, the mom that's going, like, with the kids, you know, oh, my goodness. So I go like that, I take, and they are just kind of soaking, and I, here, give these to Kelly, you know, and so, because Kelly was there, my wife, and, and then I just take off, and as I take off, I kind of hear, and I think I got this right, the, the woman go, who is that? And Sherry goes, that was my pastor. <laughs> But that's the idea, you know? Let us drop trow of your sin <laughs> that easily entangles. That's the point. Sin is like running a race with all these things wrapped around you. You just can't do it. It's hard to do. Okay, so let's throw off everything and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes, this, this is cool, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Then the writer of Hebrews says, well, let me tell you about how Jesus endured the worst agony of that time, which was crucifixion. So he says this, Jesus did it like this, for the joy set before him, meaning the vision he had of something greater, his mission, he knew what he was going to be doing. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. Oh, there's a whole sermon just in that word scorning. Um, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So personally, we strip off sin because it keeps us from the race God has marked out for us. And we remember the, and endure, and we remember the, the, um, what Christ did in being the first to go before us. Then we jump back to Hebrews 10, because then the writer, and and I'm kind of putting this together, the writer then in in Hebrews 10 talks about what do we do then together in our relationships? And he says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. Together in relationship as a church, in, in relationship, you know, together as a family, our foundation is in the hope that um, that, that he has given to us in eternal life. 
God's done so many great things for us, for you, personally. He did, Jesus did what nobody else has ever done or ever will do. He wiped away the guilt of your sin. But not just guilt, but the shame as well. I heard somebody say this just the other week. Guilt says that you have a problem. Shame says you are the problem. Think about that. Guilt says you have a problem, but shame says you are the problem. How many of you have been shamed by people you love, by a parent or a parent figure? Guilt says you have a problem. Shame says you are the problem. Jesus came to take both away. So, last question. What are we supposed to do when we get there? What does it look like as we're supposed to live in relationship? Um, Hebrews 10.23, let us consider how we may spur one another onto power and status, a huge love of myself and no one else. Hopefully you know that's not in the Bible. Okay, good. Because that's not what it is. But this would make sense if we went back to the idea that my natural inclination is all about me. It's all about bringing things to me and, 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 uh, and making me look good. The real verse says this, let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The word love here, uh, the writer uses the, the, the agape love from 1 Corinthians 13. So we, as we journey together, we spur each other on. As a fellow Christ follower, I'm going to encourage you in love, with a love that is patient, a love that is kind. Together, we're going to love others that, uh, with a love that protects a love that trusts and hopes and perseveres and motivates us to do awesome things for other people. Together we serve. Together we do good in this world. And then the writer closes the thought by giving us how we are to do these things. And this is kind of the application. Okay, that's nice, but how do we do this? And he says this, Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but, it, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Again, for many of you coming to this, this event, weekly event, if you will, called worship, um, you know, that, that's awesome. It, it, it's the, one of the main things that we obviously do. But this is, this is a, an event, if you will, a worship service where we worship God together. For others, you know, this verse up here means finding time to connect casually on a Sunday morning, which is, again, awesome. But for others of you, the worship is nice, but where you grow in your faith, where you lock arms with brothers and sisters, um, and, you look for, and, and the time that you look forward to the most isn't Sunday, but it's gathering during the week with other people. I can tell you that our worship teams, you know, when they meet, they meet Monday night to, to do a first rehearsal or run-through or a practice and then also Sunday morning. When they meet, I've been in here or heard them, they're goofy, you know? They build relationships. Our choir downtown, they meet on, on Mondays, Mondays or Thursdays, I don't remember which, but the same thing downtown with our choir. They meet for a purpose of adding to worship, but that group of people are in relationship together with other believers, and they support each other, and they love each other. Faith grows in circles, not in rows. Your faith grows in circles, not in rows. Remember, the gravitational pull of your flesh is to isolate, 
not to engage with anybody else, but the beauty of the relationships that God gives to us as believers is an amazing thing. It's a supportive thing. So what do you do with that? Well, let's say you are acquainted with church here. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you've just started to come um, over the summer or whatever it is. Part of it is us as a staff, as leadership, as the church itself, letting you know of opportunities that happen, like all our small groups that we just um, went through and then what Sherry mentioned in the kids' message. Part of it is that. But the other part is on your side. The other part is looking around this room and going, you know what, I, I, we have the same age kids, you know, but I never really met that person. Or, you know, I've never, other than greeting time, I've never really talked to that person. Now, maybe that's not your thing, but here's what I want to give you a tool to meet somebody. And I'm really bad at meeting new people, honestly. It's scary to me. Um, I just don't know what to say. Hi, hi. Uh, I'm the pastor, you know, what do you say? But let me give you a phrase, and you can use this this morning. You just walk up to somebody that you're like, you know, I bet we could kind of connect. They, we, you know, there's a, an interest there. If you look around this room or, or as you're out there, you walk up and you just say, hi, I'm being awkward. And I just thought I'd introduce myself. See, you all laughed. There's a breakage there, right? I would love to hear after the service people that have never met, have seen, you've seen each other at church, you're just coming up and saying, hi, I'm just being awkward. <laughs> and it opens up a conversation. Um, but the bigger thing is this. Imagine if we were all on the same page and continued meeting together. Imagine if the, the five other Christ followers, that you had five or ten other Christ followers that you could count on in a moment's notice. Imagine if all of us loved our community over and above what's happening now and we served alongside each other. That's why the Goliath Challenge, the mobile pack was so amazing this last time. Uh, at the Y, because we served alongside each other, but also into our community. Amazing. That's the beauty of this thing called church, and he calls us to keep meeting together, to encourage each other, to love and to show love to Hudson, the Twin Cities, to the United States, and to the world. If you want to know more about connecting, Sherry is our connection coordinator. You can talk to me, and we'll, we'll get you going in the right area to, to take a step outside of Sunday morning to develop those Christ-following and Christ-loving relationships. Okay? Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand to pray.